This is Max Barry. You're listening to Booked. These guys will actually reenact scenes from the book for your listening pleasure. There's no length that they won't go to. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be reviewing this episode is called The Cost of Living by Rob Roberge. A little bit about the author. Rob Roberge is the author of the novels Drive and More Than They Could Chew and the short story collection Working Backwards from the Worst Moment of My Life. Included that, obviously, uh, The Cost of Living. He's the guitarist for the seminal punk band, The Urinals. He lives in Southern California desert near Los Angeles. Like that bio. Dude, The Urinals is such a great name for a band. <laughs> yeah, Isn't it? I mean, I, <laughs> it just bring, I mean, any, any band name that automatically makes you think of pissing, mm-hmm. uh, there's something to that, I think. Well, but you think about urinals, too. You usually walk into a bathroom in, like, a bigger bar or whatever, you know, and there's, like, four of them there. I'm assuming there's, like, four guys in this band. No? Nothing? All right, never mind. Hey, not bad. Let's talk a little bit about this book. How long How long have we been looking forward to reading something by this cat? Uh, I can tell you the exact date that we started looking forward to reading something from him. It was August 3rd of 2011. It's my own little rain man. So back in during the Warmed and Bound sessions, Craig Clevenger recommended um, Mr. Robert to us, a name I hadn't heard prior to that. Um, we're just waiting for him to come out with something, and lo and behold, here it is, The Cost of Living. So I'm going to give you the uh, synopsis here. To the shock of lovers and rivals, indie guitarist Bud Barrett is finally, if tenuously, married, clean and sober. Now he faces the challenge of staying that way. To avoid repeating the past, Bud needs to confront the ghosts that dwell there. After decades of seeking redemption in the arms of pervy Florence Nightingales, Bud finds himself still haunted by his mother's abandonment, his own array of crimes, and a murder he witnessed as a child. As he revisits his life of grief and reckless excess, all paths lead to his long-estranged father, a man with his own turbulent history and the only one who can connect Bud's fragments, unlocking the answers that just might save him. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> I know that our usual formula is to jump right into how the book starts and how the story progresses. But one thing I want to point out, and I want to see if this had the effect on, on you, Livia, that it did on me, was very early in the book. Um, and obviously one of the main themes in this book is addiction of, of Bud, the main character. Uh, but you find out very early in the book that this kid started like regularly taking pills when he was like eight years old yeah that um i don't know if i want to say it affected me it struck me as a little odd i don't i mean i'm sure that happens but it did seemed really out of like you know out of left field to me and it just to me had the impact of like if you think about it then uh the majority of the book takes place when he's in his mid 40s mm-hmm. so by that time the dude's been abusing drugs for like 30 years like 30 years three yeah. quarters of his life that's it adds a lot of i think impact to like the whole addiction aspect of the book well his whole history and as we'll talk more about the book but yeah i mean if anybody was set up for this type of for this type of lifestyle i think it's bud barrett yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So the book um, does a little bit of a kind of chronological back and forth uh, through parts of the book. As Rob said, really early on, we actually we see him. He's uh, it's it's today or, you know, very close to today. Uh, and it goes back to his childhood and then it kind of fast forwards to parts of his addiction and goes to when he's clean. So it does bounce around in time a little bit. Um, but basically, uh, the chronological story is that um, Bud grew up in a household where he was uh, terrified of his father. Um, his mother may or may not have been have been crazy, but she wound up leaving the family um, shortly. Uh, you know, when he was a, when he was a teenager, and then uh, you know a couple of years later, the you know without any type of contact with her, you know, they find out that she had killed herself. So that's kind of the setup for for this this story of Bud Barrett's life. Like I said, if anybody was set up for you know, drug abuse. It was this kid. And one of the big themes is, uh, or not one of the, I can't call it a theme, but one of the major parts of the book is the fact that, uh, he starts out really the only, I think good quality to his younger life is, uh, teaching himself to play the guitar. Um, and then as time goes on, joins a band and becomes, you know, a somewhat famous, actually quite famous musician. So, Music is a big uh, part of this guy's life, and obviously, the life of a rock star, you know, leads to more opportunity for taking drugs and building addictions and going through a lot of crazy stuff. So, uh, that's a, a really huge aspect of the book as well. As he's going through all this stuff with his mother and father, uh, and and his and his love interests and stuff like that. Yeah, it. Um a little concerned um we had actually picked up this uh the physical copy of this book while we were in boston at awp and uh you know it's very rare that i read the synopsis for a book but you know reading the synopsis i thought oh it's gonna be all about like drug use and, and all about rock bands and, and things that i'm not necessarily into myself but it seemed that one of the things um that that robert does just just incredibly well there, there's a lot about drugs because i mean it's, i think it's the focal point of the story but he gives you just enough information to make it really interesting about the music business or Bud's participation in the music business. Um, Bud is also kind of a gambler and he gives you just enough information to make it interesting, but doesn't overwhelm you. I've read other books that were about like guys in rock bands and it was like all about the music business. And it was just too much if you're not interested already. You know, we read, um, something we read a while ago. I remember you saying it was really heavy on, uh, on gambling stuff. You know, it's the same kind of thing here. It was just enough to give you a good gist of what was going on and make it interesting, but not to overwhelm you with it. Cause I've also read books about gambling where that's, you know, the whole focal point of it was that. So he gives you just enough of these bits and pieces, um, to, to give you enough of the story and to make that portion of the story very interesting without you going, God, can we please stop talking about this goddamn band already? Or, you know, about these poker games or whatever it is. Yeah, I'll back that up. It was Dead Money by Ray Banks. Uh, mm -hmm. And I remember vividly talking on the episode about how just buried under gambling jargon, I felt. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, in the same way, like, in this book, it's not as if he dumbs it down. He he has a great way of, of when he's presenting you with the gambling stuff, the drug stuff, the music stuff. It, it, it's in a way that he assumes you understand what he's saying. Um, like it's not exposition. He's not explaining it to to like a a a layman or whatever. He's he's in the the he's full on jargon for whatever he's talking about. But he does it in a way where you get what he's getting at. You understand why it matters that he's telling you, and it still like works well without beating you over the head with uh, the overall topic. I guess. Agreed. 
So drugs. We're probably gonna talk a little bit about drugs, huh? Yeah. Um, I, a lot of drug <laughs> use in this. <laughs> Not a big drug fan myself. Uh, but I've, I've again, like Olivia said, I've uh, with the gambling and the music and stuff. I've read several books where, uh, like Junkie, William S. Burroughs comes to mind. Was a book pretty much just about being addicted to morphine and opiates mm -hmm. and um so i was thinking all right i kind of know what's coming i read junkie and junkie really focused on like <laughs> it was almost like documentary style like the the day-to-day -day life of like an unrepentant junkie <laughs> mm -hmm. so in a way that i mean it's 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 different in this because you know he is the tortured drug addict who knows what he's doing he knows the effect it has on other people, hates himself for it, um, mm -hmm. but is addicted, you know? Yep. Yep. I, uh, I'm going to jump ahead to quotes real quick because I think this is like the perfect example of, of what kind of drives this, this book. This is page 14. The children of suicides are five times more likely to kill themselves than the rest of the world. Later, in one of the rehabs that didn't take, while they tried to find some combination of meds that would keep me from psychotic episodes, there was some doctor telling me that junkies are 14 times more likely to kill themselves than their peers. Yeah. So I think mathematically speaking, I think that's like 70 or 80 times <laughs> more likely than the average person, um, you know, to, to, to just want to throw in the towel. Yeah, which so. is a staggering statistic, and mm -hmm. in those just couple sentences, he really told, like, basically laid out how the odds were against him. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, we follow him kind of back and forth in time through uh, the tough times where he's trying to get money to, to get more drugs. Um, at no point does he seem to be set up very well financially, at least while he's in the, the drug addict um, stages of his life. Um, but we do, a good portion of the book takes place during a, a, a five-year stint where he's clean. And that's where I really think that the, uh, I don't know how to say this, it's like the hopeful side. It's like what he always wanted in life comes true, but then how 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 tenuous that can even be and how easily that can, that can fall apart. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, uh, about this book that I thought Robert's pulled off quite well was that you see this timeline of a person's life. You see the ups, you see the downs, um, various levels of success, personal, you know, uh, security and happiness and everything. Um, and throughout it all, like really, even though his life is maybe like entirely different, like on the high point, he's married, he's got a job, he's teaching, he's doing all this stuff. He's, you know, happy and he feels like he's finally in control. Um, there's all these there's these constants of like um, emotional trauma from his childhood, and there's the constant of addiction. Even when he's clean, it's just always there, like waiting around the corner, just to like you know screw up again. So um, that to me that was kind of a powerful thing that even at the best moments, like it was just one mistake away from losing everything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the book really delivers is that it seems all seems very, very realistic. And, um, you know, I think a lot of these books are written and it's like kind of like on the upswing, you know, like how, how to get out of it. Or as you had said, you know, kind of these unrepentant junkies who, you know, the, the book that you were talking about, you know, what we see is a guy in ups and downs and in wanting his life to be better, but but failing to do so at, at you know, at almost every turn for him. And it's kind of... Um, it's very emotional 
Um, because it's not just parties and chicks and, and getting high. I mean, even while the guy's getting high, like you said, he basically hates himself while he's doing it, which which makes it very, very interesting reading. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought that Robert writes very well, and I think that we are prepared a little bit uh, by well, when we had Craig Clevenger on and he recommended Rob Robert's, I think one of the things that uh, he said was that he read one of Rob's books and his reaction was, you know, dude, who broke your heart? And mm-hmm. um, the whole emotional, like, anytime love or emotion was, was, you know, well, I think it kind of the whole book was just chocked full of that. But, like, the dude writes emotion in a way where, like, you, uh, you really feel it as well. Yeah, and on both ends. I mean, I think that the heartbreak was there and, and seemed very right. But his love for um, Olivia, who is who is one of the, the women that he's involved with, uh, you know, in the course of his life is, uh, even the good stuff seemed really good and, and very believable. So I don't think that it's just that he's gotten his heart broken. I think the guy's truly loved too, at some point, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You felt like the comfort and security of like mm-hmm. having the thing you never thought you'd ever really find, but then you also feel like the ultimate heartbreak of knowing that like once something happens, there's no going back from it. Pretty, pretty emotionally powerful stuff yeah unfortunately i mean it's not there's not a lot to talk about it as a book that's the 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 problem sometimes is that although this book is really fantastic it's really hard to kind of talk about some of the themes and stuff without you know i don't want to say giving too much away i think we've pretty much laid out the story and i think it's fair it's not exactly a story that can be spoiled right um well i mean yeah it's like in this style of a memoir or a biography almost mm mm-hmm but um, he does get himself involved in or is a witness to many different kind of wild and out there um, situations um, from time to time, um, mostly him being talked into doing things by other drug addicts, which, you know, I, I know these situations on the outside aren't meant to be funny, but they do come across kind of kind of hilarious in, in parts, too. Yeah, well, the extreme, like, <laughs> I can think of two off the top of my head that are just mm-hmm. like... Uh, there's only one way you you find yourself in this situation and like the time that uh the end result is he's struggling on the floor punching a guy rolling around in the guy's like father's like bag of piss that got spilled because he was like had a catheter and they knocked over the you know Mm -hmm. so he's fighting a guy in a puddle of piss and like (laughs) so that one that one i thought was yeah humorously like absurd yep but the pregnant chick yeah there's that too <laughs> there's uh there's actually one of my quotes is uh is from there and uh i may as well just just read it right now um i wondered how fucked up these kids home lives had to be to make getting pregnant at 18 snorting meth and eating placenta seem like a road you wanted to go down <laughs> yeah so <laughs> uh, i don't want to describe the whole scene but Essentially, at one point, the, the the lengths to which your want for drugs will go really is kind of limitless because the whole deal is basically at one point, the pregnant chick says that she'll give him drugs if he makes out with her. Mm-hmm. And she's like a total like meth addict while pregnant. I, I, I don't know, meth. I think it's meth. But anyway, yeah. the, he finds himself in a crappy hotel somewhere making out with a pregnant drug addict chick so that he can get drugs. Yeah, 
yeah, and I imagine, I mean, there's a lot of kind of down and out stuff that happens, but uh, the other scene that I really found humorous um, was <laughs> they they make a deal to go basically rip off some pot from a guy's father, and, and the guy who's, whose father it is, is he's, he's crazy. He's very obviously not well, but there's this whole scene about them trying to get into this uh, apartment that the door has been chained. Like, there's a hole in the door and a hole in the wall, and a chain has been put through, and there's a guy who continually ask them like if they have bolt cutters and the conversation that they have with this guy is just fantastic you know but some of that stuff also felt like it might be based in uh in reality maybe not necessarily mr robert himself but that you know some of these are stories he may have heard from other people i mean a lot of them had that very quirky weird like you know life is stranger than fiction kind of feel to them yeah yeah and that's the kind of thing you wonder with a book like this how much of this is based on personal experience or experience of a friend or acquaintance and how much of it is purely just, you know, made up. Yeah. Or what kind of fucked up life this guy lives. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other option. They want to go there. You know, sometimes we're like, so tell us how much of this is real. You know what? No, we don't want to know. Just, <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't have to, even, we don't want to know how much of that is. Uh, tell us an acceptable yeah. amount of how much of this is real. Yeah. Of, of how, of how many pregnant meth heads you've made out with. Yeah. So, Um, but overall the writing is um it's it's gonna sound really stupid it's such a readable book like it you know don't matter there are books i love that there are portions that i have to kind of trudge through it might just be a couple of pages or or whatever or there's times you go you know what i've had enough i put i only put this book down when i had to it was either i needed to go to bed i needed to go back to work you know what i mean i i probably having a whole day you know if i sat down i probably would have just read this all in one sitting and I know this is really just digging into the details of it, but I even enjoyed the way that it was sectioned out because it wasn't necessarily your traditional chapter layout. It wasn't in parts. It was essentially um, each different snapshot of his life, the time period that you were talking about mm-hmm. was its own, I guess, chapter or section or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But like, it wasn't a uniform length. You know, that part of the book just lasted as long as it needed to. Um, right. But the nice thing about it was, like, you got used to this idea of, I'm going to see this part of his life for as long as that story lasts, you know? So mm-hmm. um, it was an it was a irregular tempo, but it was great because it allowed you to just feel like, you know, oh, this is another, this is a whole different part of his life, you know? It was really cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about story-wise? Uh, I mean, I just want to reiterate the fact that, like, yeah, it, it's not something that, um, it, it's definitely more written like a, a memoir or a, a biography or something where mm-hmm. it's not necessarily something you spoil. It's just, you know, uh, a big, it's a book about a dude and it's just really well written. <laughs> yeah. The, um, you know, there, there's various characters. His father makes, you know, several appearances throughout the book. Um, there's his wife. I want to talk a little bit about his wife and not necessarily about his wife, but about, um, Roberge's creation of, of Olivia, the wife. This guy was able to write a woman that was so cool on the page that I felt like I was starting to fall for her, yeah, you know, and this yeah. is exactly, it's like the love of Bud's life. And you know what? I could totally see why he was 100% in this woman. And it wasn't your typical, like, Oh, she's got, she's got really large breasts and is real sexy. Just, just her personality and, and the way that she interacts with Bud, even after they've broken up because he's fallen off the wagon again, you know, she was just a very, very endearing character. And, and I have to say that 
you know, I, I, I can read lots of women in books, and I just think this is one of the better written ones. If you wanted to understand why he was so in love with this woman, it was right there on the page for you to see and feel. Like, it, there didn't have to be explanations from the character. You could see it from their interactions, if that makes sense. Absolutely, which made the whole thing more difficult because at the base of it, you're reading a book about a guy who is an addict, and what is, like, one of the only constants when you're dealing with an addict? They're going to let you down. So, like, mm-hmm. you have this character that you just want, you want to fall in love with. And and her backstory is that her father, you know, was an addict of some sort that, mm-hmm. you know, left her life. And it was heartbreaking for her. So she was already built up to know just how bad it could hurt. So that whole character was just, like, while you wanted to love her, you worried so much about what was probably going to happen to her. Yeah. So that was my only other real story note I had. Yeah, um, so. I mean, I mean that in the the fact that he's haunted by his his not necessarily childhood, but his parents. I think mm-hmm. is one of the big things. His father was a, a state trooper who was basically just really volatile, and I don't even I don't know if I'd say abusive, but just really obviously verbally abusive, uh, reckless angry um and his mother with her you know mental trouble uh just unstable very absent uh sad and the things that you know happen when she she is gone um he his whole life is just he's haunted by and constantly thinking about his parents and how he how he grew up in this very very unfortunate uh family <laughs> Yeah, there there wasn't. Okay, so there were like the funny scenes, you know, and, and those are only funny because you're not involved in them. They're the crazy funny, you know. They're the they're the like uh, you know crime gone wrong specials, you know, that, that you see on like Fox TV or something, you know. So they're funny. Mm-hmm. They're not funny to anybody who's actually involved with them. They're probably really scary, you know. Yeah. They're funny from the outside. And then yeah, his relationship with Olivia. Everything else was dark, very very dark throughout the course of this book, but in a very it was it didn't feel forced at all. It felt very realistic. Yeah, very authentic. Yes. Want to do you like at two or three occasions you already did quotes, but you want to jump over to that? Yeah, let's do that. Um, You and I, by the way, Rob. This time um, he actually read the paper book, and uh, he. Cobb wrote down all of his notes into into our Google Doc that we share, and we have like three or four crossover ones, so I'm going to back off on all of those so you can have at it there, buddy. All right, this is the quote I want to start with, and it's just because uh, sometimes you just there's a quote that just brings to mind someone, and this, this quote immediately, Livius was just standing in front of me. He lit a cigarette, happy to be in Vegas, where smoking was not only still allowed... It was celebrated and encouraged. Oh, Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually going to read a, a fairly long... I don't know where I'm going to drop off on this, so I've highlighted a whole paragraph that is 13 lines long, I think. Um, but I found this really, really interesting, and this is the type of like kind of like thing that strikes me as very insightful. I don't know how true this is, you know, if this is how a, a junkie's mind works, but I believe it from reading this right here. Um, I guess I got preface with the, so uh, his friend says to him, he asks, you know, how many pills you have? And, and he says, I've got about five 80 milligram oxys left. 
I laughed to myself when he said about five. A pill junkie might not know what day it is, what month, or even year it is. They don't know who's the number one pop singer or the newest famous reality TV star or their senator or whatever else passes for important news and information to most people. But they know, to the grain and speck, how many pills they have left once the number starts to get low. I won't go on. There's another (laughs) ten lines after that, but... Um, it just seemed like a really, really insightful thing that would never occur to me because I would think like that's the type of person that doesn't know, you know, like he said, the day of the week or what time it is or, you know, and how would you expect them to know? But it makes perfect sense that. Absolutely. Yeah. So a couple I'm going to do two back to back about drugs. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. Well, yeah, find a quote that's not about drugs. That's yeah. a, my challenge to you. <laughs> so. Well, <laughs> I guess cigarettes are a drug. I was going to yeah. fight you on my first quote, but uh, um <laughs> one of the this is just kind of in the same vein as what Livius just said it's always better to say no to a limited supply but then eventually everything is a limited supply mm-hmm. and then uh, my next quote uh, is what I thought was a pretty eloquent uh, description of what it felt like to feel high or to start feeling a high in a warm sudden rush I felt pretty good the opiates had kicked in and were busy ironing out every kinked nerve in my body. It was like every good thing in the world at once. The feeling of a warm robe out of the dryer, the cotton candy pink sunset over the ocean, a blowjob, cold water after exercise, Al Cooper's organ in Like a Rolling Stone, a peaceful solitude that made you feel like you fit into every fractured crevice of a fragmented, hateful planet. A first kiss, something like love flowering inside you. All right talked a little bit about olivia um i'm gonna do a little quote that's about her this is uh, after they have a, a fight i think it was the day they got married olivia heated up like a microwave and fuck you was her way of ending a fight it always left me sick desperate to fix things and have her love me again even if she told me more than i could recall that fuck you meant mo- nothing more than what it said and i don't love you didn't live on the same planet i let it go i guess it's probably hard to understand um because it's the words are or um, italicized, but basically that fuck you didn't mean I don't love you. I just love the whole way that paragraph's put together. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, yeah, good part of the book. Uh, more on love. It amazed me that anyone was able to make love work in this world the way our greasy, damaged souls clattered together. I, um, I do want to go back because this isn't really a quote, but I'd highlighted something I wanted to mention. Even the the father who was, you know, somewhat abusive. And, and I think even Bud in his later years looked back on his father a little differently than he did. Like maybe he wasn't such a bad guy as, as he had grown up thinking he was. Um, there's even a part where, where um, Bud goes to see his father and he's, he's in recovery and he had just gotten married. And um, there's just a section in there that even melts your heart for the guy that you're, you know, who's, who's really the bad guy in the book. I mean, if Bud's not the bad guy, it's his father, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, it's the part where, where um, Bud's father asks if he thinks that, that he could meet, you know, Bud's wife. So it does, again, doesn't mean anything if you're not reading the book, but Robert's was even able, able to make the character that you like the least throughout the course of the book very relatable and make you feel sad for him so even though the guy basically is presented as a prick throughout the course of it yeah it's like the Um, monster that everybody hated was vulnerable for a second it was very mm -hmm. very powerful yes very touching i believe my eyes teared up a little bit at that point yeah i read it like two times just to you know really have Mm -hmm. it sink in um do you got one yeah i do 
Olivia had said that we were done if I started using again. But worse, she said the one thing she would never forgive me for was killing myself, and I hated and resented her in that moment, ready to die, set up with a plan, and then stop by love dressed as guilt, or guilt dressed as love. The whole damn book is like this, man. It's crazy yeah. how, how many great moments like that there are. Yep. Um, <clears throat> this one, I hope I don't stumble too much with, because it's complex wording, um, but I, I really liked uh, where it goes. It's about his uh, thinking about his mother after she's gone. What her lost goodbye left in its wake, and that lost goodbye he's referring to is his mother going away and not saying goodbye. What her lost goodbye left in its wake, though, was an uneasy fear anytime I'd been with someone I loved, that no matter whether it was a beautiful moment, a shitty one, or the calm, uneventful boredom of the in-between where most moments live, I might be seeing them for the last time. That's like pure heartbreak right there. Yep. (laughs) I'm only going to do one more. I have seven or eight more. And it always seems like, because you're bookmarking them as you go along. So, but um, I, uh, there's a scene, I'm going to set this up a little bit. He's, uh, he's in a lot of pain. Um, he has, well, I guess I could, he's in a lot of pain and this is the, the kind of insight into the, um, the, the addict lifestyle that I think that makes this book really great or that educated me a little bit in, in what this type of addiction could be like. I thought about taking one of the two Oxycontin I had left, but I didn't want to waste them on pain. <laughs> that yeah oh my god yeah it's like i said it's like that whole junkies knowing exactly how many pills they have left when they don't know anything else or that i just think that he did such a great job of uh, of showing us you know perhaps the little details that really can explain and make sense like that that sentence there probably explained more to me about drug addiction than someone could talking to me for 20 minutes about being an addict you know i mean one sentence summed it up like i'm in a lot of pain and i can fix the pain but then i'm just wasting these pills i could use to just be high yeah yeah, uh, I've got several more quotes as well, but I'm willing to forego doing them uh, if you think you would do a little bit of booked theater with me. Oh, we haven't done booked theater in quite some time. Let Since me, Max uh, Perry, let me see. yeah. That's what I was going to say. Um, let me see how I can figure out on this fine new Kindle how to actually get to a page. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of booked theater. Uh, we haven't done this since, like we were just saying, Max Berry. Uh, but there's this conversation, and this goes kind of along with what Livius was saying before with the, uh, I think it was the bolt cutters, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. Like, the, the way the conversation goes sometimes is just hilarious. And, and I, I I made a note that this was a scene that I just, you know, I thought warranted it. So there's a, a guy, Johnny Moe, who's <laughs> friends with Bud, and uh, they're kind of involved in doing some drug-related stuff together. I'll do the part of Johnny Moe, and Livius will be our protagonist. Ready? Yep. <clears throat> Mac in Silver Lake's totally cool. A little crazy. Uh, when you meet him, don't eat anything out of this bastard's shelves. Out of his pantries. What? He puts acid in his food in case people try to steal from him. Who steals food? No one, if they know what's good for them. That's why I'm telling you. Isn't this buddy of yours a millionaire? I wouldn't say we're buddies. But he's a millionaire. Pretty much, yeah. At least. Who's he inviting over that seals food out of his pantry is what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, the man puts LSD in his food. What if he wants the food? 
Then he takes the acid. Max always fucked up on something. He doesn't give a fuck. What about the fridge? Is the shit in the fridge spiked too? Just don't take this man's food. I'm not taking his food. I'm just curious if he does it to shit in the fridge too. I don't take people's food. I never said you did. Then why bring it up? As a warning, motherfucker. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, good stuff. But the, And that's what I meant. And again, I don't want to point the accusatory finger. But, you know, you have to think like either this, this obviously is genius. But, you know, it's like that's the kind of conversation you almost can't make up. You have to have heard about a guy <laughs> who, like, puts shit in his food in case someone's going to steal it. You, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, this This so. is definitely like... This came from somewhere. <laughs> right. So um, so that's it. Uh, book Theater, episode two. Um, look forward to more book theater in the future from this podcast. That's the thing. I think with um, the book theater, it really requires, like, it, it takes something important to, to, to bring out the book theater in us. That conversation uh, was worthy enough to, like, bring out us doing it, reenacting it. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really glad that, that, uh, Craig Clevenger turned us on, uh, to Rob Roberge. I'm really glad that we got to spend a couple minutes talking with him in Boston, which was really cool. He was yeah. at, uh, he was, you know, selling copies of his, of his book there and, uh, it was nice to meet him. I think we're going to try to get him on the show, which is a cool thing. Um, so I think this is going to be one interesting guy to talk to. For sure. Want to do a quick wrap up? Um, yeah. You know, before we do the wrap up, I want to mention that, um, because we always forget, so so we haven't mentioned this in a long time, but music is probably the hardest thing we do on the show. Um, quite frequently, we spend more time trying to find music for the episodes than we do the books that we review, <laughs> which I know sounds really stupid. <laughs> but um, this time, um, Rob Roberge made it really, really easy for us. On his website, he has what you know he calls a soundtrack to this book, and it's uh, songs that he's, uh, I'm assuming he's written them, but he's written and performed them with, with friends of his. And it's actually really good music. So the song you heard at the top of the episode is from that. The song you're going to hear on the way out of this episode also from that. So I encourage you guys to go and listen to it. You can download it in some archaic file format, an AIFF file <laughs> format that I had to look up. Um, but I've listened to the, the the soundtrack probably three times since I started reading this book. It's really good stuff. Definitely want to check it out. Yeah, for sure. The cool thing, too, is like, uh, at least from the stuff I saw, it was in the in the style of what the the band from the book would have done. What was it like, uh, like country, country punk something? What was the, their, uh, cow, was it cow punk? Cow punk. I think it was cow punk. Yeah. yeah. But like, uh, the band, they, there was like a logo for the popular mechanics, which was the name of the band that he was in, in the book and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like songs that were mentioned in the book were song mm-hmm. titles of the, mm-hmm. these songs. So it's a, it's a, it's part of the experience kind of in a way. Agreed. And very enjoyable. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, yes, now we can do wrap-ups. Did you want to go ahead and go first? Sure. Um, I think that we, like usual, have said everything that we need to about the book. Uh, just to recap really quickly, um, definitely written in more of a memoir or biography style. Heavy themes of being a rock and roll musician, drug addiction, uh, the mother and father family thing. Um uh, overall, the things that really got me were that the dude's just a great writer. Um, he works delicate situations in a way that 
I mean, he, he makes the best out of uh, tough situations. Like some of this stuff for someone who's not a good writer just wouldn't come off well at all. And he does a very good job of, of just pulling you into these moments, these very emotionally uh, volatile moments, uh, heavy situations. Uh, he makes you empathize. Um, he doesn't give you an option. You just you get so caught up in everything. So to me... That's what makes this book so great. Probably it's a, it's probably one of the big strengths of Rob Roberge. And on top of it all, it's just a really good story. And uh, um, not much more to say. Uh, it's just a great book, and I'm going to give it five stars. Um, I think Rob covered most of the bases that needed covering there. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit in how stark a contrast this was to um, the stud book by Monica Drake, which is the last book we reviewed. Um, Monica is also a great writer. Again, the the prose portion, I think she's really good at it. And I think she also touched on little ideas, like things that I said here where one sentence really captured an entire feeling that, you know, someone might not be able to explain to you in a couple of paragraphs. Um, The difference is that we cared about Bud in every single situation he was in versus, you know, we read about a bunch of women. We couldn't have cared less what happened to any of them. You know, you can go back and listen to that review if you want. The difference is that every time... Um, he put Bud in a new situation. If it was, you know, uh, the the 80s, the 90s, or today, um, you cared on what the outcome was. Is, is this going to be? Is he going to overdose? Is this where he's going to go ahead and, and realize that his life's a mess and he's going to try to kick the drugs again? What's going to happen with him and his wife? You cared at every single instance, um, even though the story itself wasn't so much different. It was just about this guy's life. There was no no real driving force behind the story. There was no standard story structure you know you introduce a problem you know try to overcome a problem there's a climax it's not that type of story it was a few years in this guy's life but he made you really really care about it the writing is absolutely beautiful i teared up at least twice there's a there's a conversation the bud has with someone towards the end of the book that just broke my heart completely broke my heart um, and that's not an easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, Rob's going, this guy doesn't have a heart. I don't know what he's talking about, how this, how this can happen. <laughs> but uh, um, I said to Rob earlier, and I, I wasn't going to say it on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure this is the favorite, my favorite book I've read this year. So it's easily, easily five stars, only because I can't give it more. Whoa. That's huge. Yep. Uh, yeah. So ch- check out this book. Definitely The Cost of Living. I'd imagine that uh, from what we've heard, because we haven't had the opportunity to, his other stuff is is equally as impressive. Mm-hmm. I uh, can I take away a star from from Studbook and put on? Can I do that? <laughs> You're star poaching now, dude. Maybe next year this is what we need to do because we we're also talking about before the show about how much we like this book, and I was like, man, we've really liked a lot of stuff we've read. Yeah, um, I think we've been a little more selective <laughs> this year than we have been previously. Maybe we should put out a system where we only have a certain amount of stars. Do you think that would force us to really? Like in a given year, we have X number of stars to give out? Right. Yeah. Like we figure out what our everything. We review like three books a month. You know, that puts us to like 36 reviews <laughs> a year. And we give it so that there's only ever like, so that there's like three stars per book or three and a half stars per book. So you have to really manage that number. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you can't just willy nilly throw stars out there. Only if we could retroactively move stars around, because I think that happens often where, I mean, if it's the first book of the year and we really loved it, um, five-star book, but then mm-hmm. if yeah. a book comes along four months later that's twice as good, it's going to be a five-star book, but it's better than that other five-star book. So, 
Yeah, we're not going to make any friends subtracting stars from ratings <laughs> after we've given them. So it's like, they get that notification. So-and-so changed their review on Goodreads. <laughs> Where the hell did my two stars go? We'd have to get uh, a whole different, like, uh, Skip Papersley would have to uh, recruit someone else to do the, the star update. Like, it would mm-hmm. be like the stock exchange. Like, you know, this book is up two points this week, and this book is down a half a star. <laughs> <laughs> oh... I really, really like this book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. and I do. I plan on reading Robert's other stuff now. Now, here's the problem with this because this happened to me before. Now he's in steep competition. I really love this book. Going back and reading, I'd be able to wow me the same way. You know what I mean? Because I already have an expectation. Yeah. So, but yeah, I definitely plan on uh, in my downtime adding um, adding both his books and his short story collection, um, which I'm going to mention now in case anyone wants to get him. Drive. More than they could chew, and working backwards from the worst moment of my life. Yeah. So. Booked, recommended, and uh, Craig Clevenger recommended, and I think I've seen like about five or six reviews of of uh, this book uh, on Facebook recently, linked to, mm-hmm. and I don't think I saw anybody say anything bad about it. I really, uh, I, I'm hard pressed to hear what somebody could say that's that's bad about this book. Yeah. Of course, it would be like how oh, this book is all about drug use. That's what you'd end up with, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's too early. It's too early to really use Amazon um, to see any bad reviews because there are currently four five star reviews. But the book, um, uh, well, the book's list is having come out a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I don't know if that's actually right or not. I think it's a little more recent than that. Yep. All right, we got other stuff to talk about, right? I believe we have some other stuff to talk about. Um, I'm going to get started. I saw something today that, uh, um, I think I'd saw rumbling, rumblings about, uh, previously from Max Berry, but I just happened to be looking and I saw this today. Uh, Max Berry wrote a book called Syrup, right? Indeed. And you read it? I did. And you liked it? I loved Syrup, yep. Well, uh, there's been talks about a movie being made out of it and much like every author we know who's had any kind of um you know talk about movies which by the way the stud book we uh when we reviewed that we talked about clown girl being optioned and kristen Mm -hmm. wig being involved yeah that's not happening so (laughs) um you know here today gone tomorrow we don't put any high Mm -hmm. hopes on any book actually becoming a movie but syrup not only was becoming a movie but is a movie because i watched the trailer for it and i thought it looked really really interesting this is very exciting news when I uh, when I heard this from Rob today. I'm very much looking forward to. It. I'm a huge fan of Max Berry's, uh, especially his early stuff, Syrup and and Jennifer Government and stuff. I just loved loved that stuff. So I'm very very much looking forward to seeing um, Syrup, and hopefully they can do that book justice. It's got um, oh I don't remember the actress's name. She, what I know her from. Did you see the movie Knocked Up? Um, I no. Oh. Oh. Shiloh Fernandez is that or Amber Heard? I'm guessing Shiloh is probably the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I pulled up the. She's uh, she was the the teenage girlfriend of of um, Seth Rogen's character in Knocked Up. She was pretty good in that. She looks mm-hmm. good in this too. You know, it's kind of cool too. We should mention people. It's going to be on iTunes May second and in theaters June seventh. So it's going to do that. Uh, Kevin Smith, that movie he did, Red State, had that same thing. Yeah, where it was available on like on demand. Yep. Um, and then did like a. You know, I hit the movie theater, so pretty sure that first week of May, uh, Rob and I are going to be watching this. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about it on the show. That's right. What else we got, Livius? 
All right, I have some exciting news. People who follow us on Facebook um, probably, hopefully, have already seen this and, and have already taken advantage. For those of you that don't, um, for a long time, for about a year, um, we did not have merchandise available. And by merchandise, I mean the super sexy booked shirts. Um, if you've ever seen a picture of Rob, he's always wearing it. I'm wearing one right uh, now. He's wearing one right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you seen pictures from from LA groups of people wearing them. Um, we sold out of our initial run, and we kept trying to make arrangements. You know, who are we going to get our shirts? Do what are we going to do? This blah 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 blah. You know, okay. So, at any rate, here's I'll let Rob tell you the rest of this. But book shirts are currently available for sale. All right, that's the good news. Here's the better news. Not only do we have booked shirts available, like you've seen in every photo of me ever, but we have a little something new for you. There is a booked anthology T-shirt available as well. Uh, so two options, uh, if you want to get, uh, get yourself one of these shirts, you can go to basementshirts.com slash booked. They made their own little part of the website for us. And, uh, it's got the two different shirts available. Um, they're 11 95 shipping now is about five bucks. Uh, but if you get more than one, um, basically shipping is $2 with another item. So, uh, if you're buying one of each. Shipping is going to cost you less than if you bought just the one. So, uh, twelve bucks, five bucks shipping, or two bucks per item if you buy more than one. You can just be like Rob. You wear one during the day, and then when you change to go to sleep at night, you just put on the other book shirt. Yeah, yeah. Everyone should have two. Everyone should have two. You should have the book shirt, but I mean, you should have the anthology one too. It's got a nice little microphone on it. It's a cool design. Yep. Yeah. Now people have been yeah. asking us for books, book shirts for pretty much a whole year like how can mm-hmm. i get one when are you gonna have them so mm-hmm. we did this uh my my friend michael uh runs basementshirts.com they do like funny uh quirky shirt designs and stuff they're always coming out with something new and different um there's like i like the one there it says han yolo and it's han solo with his gun mm-hmm. but he's wearing black. anyway it's kind of dorky <laughs> stuff like that but anyway yeah it's check much out. better when you see the shirt yeah, yeah. <laughs> me describing it does not do it justice but yeah basementshirts.com slash booked uh, leads you over to an Etsy site. It will say that uh, in order to have you as little, uh, as the least disoriented as possible, you will need to have an Etsy account in order to complete the purchase, but it takes like a minute. Not a big deal. Make sure you do it. There are double XL available. Is that right, Rob? Yeah, anywhere from, uh, there's unisex sizes, Mm -hmm. uh, small all the way up to double XL. Double XL is a little bit weird. Um, You just have to add their 2XL upgrade uh, to the shopping cart as well, which is an extra three bucks. Cool, cool. So yeah, we decided instead of like messing with it at all, we would find someone, we would outsource it. Um, Rob's friend was happy to do this for us. So um, thank you very much, basementshirts.com. While you're there, pick up a Han Yolo shirt. I'm sure it's much funnier <laughs> than whatever Rob just said. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, get yourself a book shirt, and then don't forget, take a picture of yourself wearing a book shirt and tag us on Facebook. That would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um... This came up recently, and Livius and I uh, had a little conversation off the air about whether it was appropriate for us to mention this or not, um, because it's a sensitive thing, and it's someone that we don't necessarily know directly. Uh, but, I mean, we can't avoid topics like this either. So uh, I think the spirit of why we're bringing it up is essentially just to honor a person and uh, to, to give comfort to the people who we know know this person i guess does that make sense i understand it perfectly sir yeah so uh recently the 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 crime writing community uh 
had a bit of a loss. Courtright McMeal uh, is is a, a name well known in the in the the, the ranks of noir at the bar and the noir and crime writing scene that we are very familiar with. Uh, he recently passed. I know he is very close with people like Jed Ayers, Les Edgerton, Scott Phillips, and um, it's just a heavy presence on Facebook right now, the fact that, that this happened. Right, so uh, we just wanted to uh, make mention that, of course, in times like this, um, and you know, something unexpected like this happens, um, it, you know, the Courtright McNeil's work still exists, um, his family still exists, and uh, I'm sure they could benefit from your help. And the best way to do that is just to head on over to Amazon, buy his novel short. Um, it was a December 2010 release. Um, Ten bucks for a hardcover. Um, only 13 left in stock. I'm sure that that'll be replenished as those sell down. Um, $7.59 for a Kindle edition. Um, reach. So now the only thing I've read, and I believe the only thing Rob's read from, from Courtright, was the, um, the he did the introduction to The Rapist, correct? Yeah. Yep, and uh, I believe Rob credited that as, as a, a perfect synopsis for the book, and I agree wholeheartedly. So mm-hmm. um, get yourself a copy of Short, um, support uh, Mr. McNeil's family, and, uh, and you know, keep them in your thoughts. Yeah, and really the big thing is, you know, we're our community. We all are in it together. Support people. You know, be there for people. And, and I like to think that we are too, you know, it, it, at least in spirit, if not like, in, you know, any greater capacity but um i mean it's a tragedy and we just need to be there for each other well that took a downturn huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we yeah we don't this is i think the first time that we really brought it like so far into reality it's kind of weird indeed um let's talk about our next episode yeah so we have next episode uh, is going to be an interview we time traveled, so <laughs> the interview is already recorded um, and very timely because um, Lords of Salem, the movie, just uh, debuted yesterday. Um, sorry, Friday, two days ago. Um, and in the upcoming days, um, you are going to hear our interview with Brian Evanson, author of um, co-author of the Lords of Salem um, novelization with Rob Zombie. So very much a very look. I'm gonna say it, it's a great interview because we already did it. So you're just not getting it right away. For reasons we don't care to discuss. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Screw you guys. I don't have to tell yeah, you that's anything. Right. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah excellent interview. Uh, you might know we've interviewed him in the past. We interviewed him for Warm and Bound. Uh, toward the end, it's probably episode 30, 31, something like that. So it was a long time ago. Uh, he was great then. We, we picked his mind about pretty much everything he's done, which ranges from uh, working with like Dead Space and Aliens mo- uh, books, uh, so like you know franchise, b- commercial kind of books, uh, translations, his own obviously his own novels, and working on editing for you know uh, different uh, literary magazines and stuff like that. So the dude does so much stuff, and we we kind of hit like everything last time, and this time around, I think we really focused on one topic more. And, um, yeah, so it's a great interview. So, uh, why I said that is you can check out our old one, uh, and it's not going to be like, we're just doing the same thing over again. They're both really, really good. And then, uh, upcoming, upcoming, uh, episodes are going to include a little surprise episode. You can listen to, um, our next episode to tell you about our little surprise episode, but we're also, I think our next book 
Our next book is going to be <laughs> Fish Bites Cop, a short story collection by David James Keaton. Is it <laughs> not to take not to go away from David James Keaton, but it, what happened where now there's the reason that we don't know what the next episode is is because there's so much going on. Like there's so much to do. How when did that happen? <laughs> that happened when when you when you stopped telling me no to things. <laughs> That's Oh man, my foot. Yeah, I for, I just don't put my foot down anymore, guys. And and in the upcoming weeks, we're gonna have another announcement. You guys are gonna think like, how does Rob just keep letting him get away with this shit? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, pretty much Rob's like, yeah, whatever you want to do, it's fine. It's cool, whatever. So, so yeah, yeah well, we're just gonna keep piling it on until he just tells me that we can't anymore. I'm the guy. You know, do. I agreed to do. Uh, we're the guys. I guess we agreed to mm-hmm. do 17 interviews in 17 days. Uh, mm-hmm. We have no common sense when it comes to uh, knowing our limits. None. But we want to bring you guys good quality stuff, so we're going to continue to do that. Um, we appreciate So, okay, I should say this now. We're talking about all the crazy stuff we're doing. We are so far behind, and we are so backed up with stuff. that As much as we appreciate the recommendations, please keep them coming. We get great recommendations from people. We have great um, you know authors who reach out to us and ask us to review their books. Look, we review like 36 books a year. I'm pretty sure we're booked for half of that already for the rest of the, you know what I mean? For the remainder of the year, <laughs> it's not that we don't appreciate the recommendations. It's just so hard to do everything we want to do. And then of course, what do I do? I'm like, Hey, we need to do more interviews this year. So to date, I think we had like 18 guests already. It's like, we're only like 15 weeks into the year. So, um, you know, you can keep the recommendations coming. Please understand. We cannot get to all of them as much as we'd like to. Um, Rob would just kill me. So, yeah, we all have our thresholds, but um, I mean, at the same time, it's just we uh, we are, we're passionate about books, and and when we see something that's fun, we don't want to turn it down because we know it's going to be a good time, and we know we're going to make something good out of it. So, um, you know, I think that's what pushes me forward. I, I'm very happy to suspend other parts of my social life to 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 work on really cool stuff for booked. Here's the other thing: we keep taking the recommendations. And our, our reviews are just better and better. Like, there were all these, like, just great four- and five-star <laughs> reviews. <laughs> Rob's perfectly happy to do that. Let's bring Rob back down to Earth. We're going <laughs> to review some stuff over the next couple months that may not work out that way. And he's going to be like, listen, we're down to one episode every two weeks. That's all I'm willing to do. <laughs> yeah, we got Dan Brown's Inferno coming up. <clears throat> hey, you know what? I got to tell you, I like Dan Brown's first two um, books in that series. The third one, meh. So it's a toss-up on what I'm going to think of Inferno. We'll we may go head-to-head on this one. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, We're done, right? We're done. Cool. All right, that's going to do it for our review of The Cost of Living. Until our next episode, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Walker.